This episode includes topics of possession and minor injuries and violence, which some people might find offensive. Listener discretion is advised, especially for young children. Behind some of the biggest horror movies in history is a far more horrific true story. We debunk some of the most famous horror movies in hopes to see the truth behind them. After all, there's always more to uncover behind the story. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Story. Today we are uncovering the true story behind The Conjuring 2. We already have an episode about the first Conjuring movie that you can find. As always, I'm Yeshu Pasadi, the paranormal believer. And I'm Arvind Raghunathan, the skeptic. Before we get into the true story, here's some things about the movie. The movie centers around one of the most famous paranormal investigators to ever exist, Ed and Lorraine Warren. For more information on them, you can listen to our episode, The Conjuring Part 1. While they're the main focus of the movie, they don't really have much to do with the actual case. The Conjuring 2 came out on June 10, 2016, Maz and Wolf playing the lead role of Janet Hodgson and Frances O'Connor as her mother, Peggy Hodgson. The movie made about $340 million, which is more than the first movie did. It's also important to note that while it can be known as the true story behind The Conjuring 2, most of the world knows that the Einfield Poltergeist, or Britain's most famous haunting. And that is our segue into this true story. Now, as you said before, the rest of the world does know this as the Anfield Polter- Poltergeist. Well, we originally knew it as just the true story behind The Conjuring 2. So if you would like even more information than we're going to give you today on this, you can search it, but with the Anfield Poltergeist. It's also important to note that there are images as well as a recording that can be found online of Janet, and that will be mentioned again later in this episode. Our story begins on August 31st at 284 Green Street, Einfield, London, and this will become one of the most puzzling paranormal cases, which will not only shake the skeptics and the paranormal believers of London, but also of everyone around the entire world. 47-year-old Peggy Hodgson lived with her four children, Margaret, 13, Janet, 12, John, 11, and Billy, 7. John was rarely home as he attended boarding school and only came home during breaks and holidays. Peggy struggled as a divorcee with financial issues, but she was a strong woman nonetheless. Around 9.30 p.m. on the 31st of August, Peggy heard loud noises coming from Janet and John's room and went to tell them to quiet down and go to sleep. They had complained about their beds shaking the previous night. Janet complained that her chair in her room, which will later be mentioned again, was making the noise and her mother moved it downstairs. When she came back to the room and turned the light off, the shuffling started again, and when, the, and when turning the light back on, she saw that the kids were in their beds, not moving. When she turned the light off again, the shuffling started again. Mrs. Hodgson explained that the sound was as if, quote, someone was walking across the room wearing slippers, end quote. Then the knocking started. Suddenly, a chest of drawers near the door of the bedroom slid away from the wall, about 18 inches, and Mrs. Hodgson pushed it back, only for it to come forward again. The second time she tried to move it, it wouldn't budge. No, there wasn't a dramatic long slam against the door as the movie portrayed, but there was definitely something strange with that chest. Panicked by the strange events, Mrs. Hodgson took her kids to their next-door neighbors that were good friends of theirs, Vic and his son, Gary Nottingham. 
When they explained their story, the Nottinghams didn't believe them, but they went into their house to see what the situation was, and that was when they too heard the knocking. Vic stated it sounded as if the knocks were following him around the house. They ended up calling the police. WPC Heaps and PC Hyams arrived at the house around 1 a.m. and witnessed strange events of their own. This is the statement that they said. Quote, on Thursday 1st, September 1977, at approximately 1 a.m., I was on duty in my capacity as a policewoman when I received a radio message to 284 Green Street, Einfeld. I went to the address where I found a number, number of people standing in the living room. I was told by the occupier of this house that strange things had been happening during the last few nights and that they believed the house was haunted. Myself and another PC entered the living room of the house and the occupier switched off the lights. Almost immediately, I heard the sound of knocking on the wall that backed onto the next door neighbor's house. There were four distinct taps on the wall and then silence. About two minutes later, I heard more tapping, but this time it was coming from a different wall. Again, it was a distinctive peal of four taps. The BC and the neighbors checked the wall, walls, attic, and pipes, but could find nothing to explain the knockings. The PC and the neighbors all went into the kitchen to check the refrigerator pipes, etc., leaving the family and myself in the living room. The lights in the living room were switched off again, and within a few minutes, the eldest son pointed to a chair which was standing next to the sofa. I looked at the chair and noticed that it was wobbling slightly from side to side. I then saw the chair slide across the floor towards the kitchen wall. It moved approximately three to four feet and then came to rest. At no time did it appear to leave the floor. I checked the chair but could find nothing to explain how it had moved. The lights were switched back on. Nothing else happened that night, although we have later reports of disturbances at this address, end quote. With nothing more that the police could do, they left the house, and the Hodgson family slept in their lounge area, where they would continue to sleep for quite some time. What I'm wondering about this is, why didn't they leave? Why didn't they leave the house? Right, because at this point, you know, they just thought the house was haunted. So why didn't they just, like, go sleep with the neighbors or something? Why would they sleep in their lounge? Well... Their neighbors stayed with them some of the days. Also, right. they didn't have money to leave, so they had to stay there. I guess. And I don't know, maybe, how open maybe their neighbors were, even though they were friends. Maybe they thought, like, the family had, you know, the paranormal energy, so if they stayed in their house, their house would get haunted. That could be true. But it kind of reminds me of um, the parents from The Conjuring 1. About how they didn't move out of the mansion, even though they were all, you know, all of this haunting is happening. That's true. Lots of similarities. <laughs> Over the next few days, which later turned into September, glass marbles and Legos began to become thrown around the house. Vic Nottingham's father noted once he picked when he picked up one of the marbles that it was burning hot. On the 4th of September, the Hodgson contacted the Daily Mirror in hopes of getting some press coverage that would bring in some help. Journalist Douglas Spence and photographer Graham Morris went to visit the house the next day, and two witnessed Lego bricks flying around, one hitting Morris, which reportedly caused him to have a bruise on his forehead for days. Convinced there was a story, senior reporter George Follows and photographer David Thorpe on September 7th went to the house, and they heard the knocking. And with that, they called the Society of Psychiatrical Research to help the family. Okay. So the Society of Psychiatrical Research started in London in 1882 and is one of the oldest paranormal investigative organizations in the world. It was created by scientists, philosophers, and other academics 
and was the first organization to examine claims of psychic and paranormal occurrences. Its mission statement was to, quote, approach these varied problems without prejudice or preposition of any kind, and in the same spirit of exact and unpassioned inquiry, which has enabled science to solve so many problems, once not less obscure nor less hotly debated, end quote. Although there are the skeptics that doubt the organization, it has still remained one of the most legitimate research bodies and funds various research papers. In 1977, they got a new member, Maurice Gross, who's more than ready to go on his first investigation in Einfield. Moving into October, objects continued to be moved and thrown around as time continued. Everything that wasn't nailed down was at risk of being moved or thrown around. One time, the investigators, Guy Lyon Playfair and Maurice Gross, removed all the objects from Janet's room that could be moved, which was the most active room in the house. Guy Lyon Playfair reported that after some time, a loud noise came from the room and it vibrated the house. Playfair said that it sounded like, quote, it was as if someone was drilling a great big hole, end quote. He went into the room to find the fireplace torn out from the wall. Quote, it was one of those old Victorian cast iron fires that must have weighed 60 pounds. The children couldn't have ripped it out of the wall, but in any case, they weren't there, end quote. The pipes to supply the fireplace had been ripped clean in half. When Playfair and Gross were convinced the house was paranormal, other members of the Society of Psychiatric Research thought that the girls were just playing tricks, which Arvin is going to have a lot of fun with this, they also claim to do. Quote, oh yeah, once or twice we faked it just to see if Mr. Gross and Mr. Playfair would catch us. They always did, end quote, Janet had said. In November, Mars Gross discovered that whatever was knocking was intelligent and began to ask it questions, one knock for no and two for yes. Upon asking whether it was dead, it knocked 53 times. As November continued, Janet's behavior became getting more erratic, Gross describing it as, quote, she seemed to be taken over, end quote. On November 26, Janet's behavior became so wild that a doctor had to be called and injected her with 10 milligrams of Valium, which is a sedative. After Janet was put to sleep, half an hour later, there was a loud crash from upstairs, and after checking it, Janet was found on top of the dresser, still asleep, kneeling on a wide clock radio, apparently having been thrown 14 feet in the air. As part of the investigation, cameras were set up in the girls' room. The images showed some very strange happenings. First was a pillow twisted around in mid-air, thrown by no one. Second was a curtain twisting around by itself, though no windows were open. The most extreme and scary of the photos were of Janet, levitating in the air, being thrown from her bed. Janet described the event as, quote, The levitation was scary because you didn't know where you were going to land. I remember a curtain being wound around my neck. I was screaming. I thought I was going to die. End quote. By December 10th, the strange occurrences in Janet began going further. Janet emitted gravelly growling and barking noises. With all of these abilities, they wondered whether it could talk, and it could. Those voice recordings can actually be found online, as I said before, and I will tell you about the important ones. It gradually held a low voice, a low guttural growl that they used to communicate with for months. Janet described it as, quote, like someone standing behind me, putting their hand on my neck, end quote. In one crucial recording, the voice claimed itself to be a man named Bill. Now, before we get into who Bill is, here is a quick message about our sponsors. Now, the movie does actually talk about 
Bill Wilkins. But as we've seen before, there was, you know, more fiction that was involved with something that was even possessing what was possessing her. But this is the actual true Bill Wilkins. So Gross, months later, was contacted by a man named Terry Wilkins. He told Gross that his father had lived in the Hodgson's house before and his death had been confirmed in the chair in the first floor of hemorrhage, which is blood loss. His father's name was Bill, the name who was claiming claiming to be possessing Janet. So a few tests were run on Janet. In one of these tests, the investigators filled Janet's mouth with water and put tape over it. And despite all of this, the voice still spoke. John Hasted, a, physici- a physicist at L- London's Burbeck College, carried out an experiment together with Adrian Forson, a phonetics expert at University College London. Tests with a larian graph indicated that the voice was using Janet's false vocal cords, not by the larynx with the usual speech. If a person was to talk using their false vocal cords for any period of time, they would usually suffer from a sore throat at best, with the dangers of long-term injury very real. Janet, however, would talk to investigators in this voice for hours, and later, when returning to her normal voice, would suffer no effect at all. The disturbances continued as they did till July 1978, when Janet was admitted to Maudsley Hospital for intensive psychiatric testing. Two months later, they found nothing, no sign of Tourette's, epilepsy, or any illness that could explain anything that Janet had undergone. When she got home, everything calmed down, and finally, the strange occurrences of the Hodgson house had ended. Quote, it stays with you every step of the way, end quote, Janet told People magazine. Quote, it's just like a death, really. It gets a little bit easier as time goes on, but the fear and the memories of it and what happened never really leaves you, end quote. All right, so now it's my turn to provide my skepticism. This time, I'm going to start straight with my theories, and then I'm going to show you the evidence. So my theory about what happened is the same with as many other skeptics have. It's that the two sisters faked the entire paranormal occurrence. However, I believe it might have started as a practical joke, but soon evolved into something they couldn't contain by themselves, which is why I also think there were many others involved in this fake story. Like many other stories, this one has some false parts to it. First of all, it was said that the chest in the house moved and that Mrs. Hodgson couldn't move it. But as Yeshri said earlier, it was only the second time it moved that she wasn't able to move it. It was also said that the old Victorian fireplace had been ripped clean out of its hole with the pipes, quote, running jagged, end quote. But in fact, the pipes looked as if they had been cleanly sawed, not savagely ripped, in, ripped out. Okay, wait, can I jump in here? Yeah. If they, okay, they were sawed clean half. That is still not normal. Well, I mean, you could saw a pipe with, like, a normal saw. But no one was in the room. Uh, then how'd they find it? Well, you don't when know. they came okay. to the room. But the thing is, who told people there were no one in the room? The investigators and the family. Are you saying the investigators are lying? I don't think it's just the family. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the two investigators from the society, those two cops who came originally, the family and the neighbors. Okay. You can continue. Because, like, as you said before, uh, the amount of money off they made off Conjuring 2 was so much more than number one. And from the news coverage on the Einfield pol- Poltergeist, as it is London's greatest haunting. And we all know how much you love, you know, people that like to play the whole, I need more money, so I'm going to pretend my house is haunted card. 
and, and that comes into play later. I'll get to that. All right. So here are a few reasons I think it's false. At one point in time, members of the society caught the kids bending spoons themselves. And some people among the press also found it strange that they weren't even allowed in the room when Janet was talking in her so-called possessed voice. Janet also admitted that they faked a few of events in the house just to see if the investigators were paying attention. She also stated that around 2% of the events at the Green Street home were faked. During an interview with Janet and her sister Margaret, Janet was asked how it felt to be haunted. And she smirked and said, it's, quote, it's not haunted, end quote and was said to look as if she was hiding a secret. Her sister whispered, quote, shut up, end quote, while giggling and looking around. There were also a lot of similar stories at the time, because this happened a few years after the popular movie The Exorcist came out. It was found out that every time something paranormal happened in front of the cameras, it was shown to be fake, something that Janet made up herself. All of the so-called hauntings happened off-camera. Now, you might say, but she levitated off the ground. Isn't that proof she was haunted? But in fact, in the position she was in, it was 100% possible for her to simply jump off of her bed into that position. I think the family, the neighbors, and the two inspectors, as well as the two cops who came to investigate, were all in on this. Probably said from the same thing that the parents wanted from the first conjuring, money and fame. It's very strange that nothing true was ever captured on camera, so I wholeheartedly believe this story is pure fiction. Okay. The biggest thing about this case that I knew you would love is that so there were so many skeptics about it. Right. And there's so many, so many people that just didn't believe it. Because there's so much evidence that is false. And I knew you were gonna jump on the fact that those girls said it was fake. Mm-hmm. But they said it was because they wanted to test if the investigators were, like, actually legit. Well, I mean, if they, were, if, if they went to the lengths to fake paranormal things, I'm sure they could go to the lengths to lie to the press. To get money? Yeah, think of, like, if they've been on a TV show. They got all of these reporters and stuff coming to their house. And think about the police people and the society people. So I researched it. Those society people, the society doesn't pay them or anything. They have actual, they need to have actual jobs as well. And also, um, police, they're government workers. So they don't make as much as, they, they probably made less than the family themselves. Yeah. So they would really need that money. And, you know, like you said, the Green Street home, it wasn't that big of a home. You know, it's like a nice little small place that you need when you don't have that much money. Which means that their neighbors also probably had a house just like that. Yeah, makes sense. And I'm sure people came to investigate the neighbor's house because they thought maybe that might be haunted too. Well, here, here's my question for you, Mr. Skeptic. How are those Legos and burning hot marbles being thrown around? Who got hit by the marbles and the Legos? Morris. The um, second group of um investigators that came from right. the daily mirror right one of the investigators who no, do i from think the is newspaper. on it they were the newspaper people well i'm sure they could be on it too a lot of people could have been on this but okay y'all one thing you said before when he was hit in the head it left a bruise right mm-hmm. and you also said these legos and marbles when touched were burning hot the marbles were hot Oh, not just the legos not just the legos he oh, was okay. hit by a lego on his forehead and then it left a bruise for days 
Well, yeah, I still think he was in and out. I'm sure they might have just faked something. You think his partner just, like, really aggressively threw a Lego? And he was like, <laughs> No, it may not have been a Lego. Funny. Like, they were probably thinking of a way to... Con- I'm sure people were skeptic of them at the time. Like, oh, these people are just making it up. Let the press in or something. Like, they were probably arguing for the press to see. So then, And think so- about how much coverage the Daily Mirror got from that. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, so you agree, too. So what I'm they- not agreeing. So what I they did not- is... They said they needed, they probably thought they needed physical evidence to be able to convince everybody. So they made a quick bruise on Morris's head. It may not have been a Lego. There's not even a picture of the bruise anywhere. So you don't know if it, if it could have been made by a Lego. It could have, maybe, maybe someone just hit him in the head or something. Okay. I mean, I hear your points, right? I'm not, I'm not dismissing your points. But I think that she, that Janet was possessed. But what I also believe is that that was, Bill Wilkins was not the only spirit in that house. Because based off of my understanding of him, he was kind of just this old guy that died just from blood loss. And he was kind of just communicating through this girl. But with the other stuff, like when Janet said that this curtain kind of wrapped around her neck, I don't think that was something he would do. So what I believe is that just there's multiple spirits in that house and they're kind of collaboratively messing all together, which I think is where the movie got its idea of another demon possessing Bill who was possessing Janet. Mm. That could be interesting. But I think what's also interesting is how when Janet went to Maudsley Hospital, right? Mm-hmm. And she went there for two months, I think. She right. came back and then everything stopped. Right. I found that so interesting anything. as well. Which that, I think is stopped. interesting because they don't, they haven't found any illness in her, but then it stopped. And they didn't do any, you know, treatment or anything. They didn't give her anything because they didn't know what it was. Exactly. So I doubt, you know, a ghost haunting her would have just stopped on its own. Like with Emily, Emily Rose, uh, Annalise Mitchell. Mitchell. Annalise Mitchell, right. With Annalise, you know, it, it didn't stop until she died. It, it kept trying to kill her, the ghost. They kept fighting inside right, of her. Right, right. So there's no way it wouldn't just left inside, which is why I think it wasn't possessed. I think, you know, they were running out of things to, like, uh, say because they were nothing was coming back positive. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they were like, okay, we need to end this now. So they probably was like, all right, the guy's the ghost went away. He can stop showing up at her house. But another take for people like me, right, like these supernatural believers, is that maybe Janet wasn't really possessed either, but more of just there was a ghostly presence in the house. She specifically wasn't possessed because ghosts and demons, they can attach to people, but they can also attach to things. Right. So I wouldn't be, you know, surprised if just the ghosts were attached to the house. And then when Janet came back, maybe they calmed down or something. But that's why Janet still wasn't possessed when she went into the hospital. Because it wasn't specifically attached to her, but rather the entire structure. That could be. Because it did happen in the house before it happened to Janet. Right. She was just the only one who was really drawn to it. Remember, she was like responding and asking questions. Yeah, well, they asked her questions. With mouthfuls of water. No, no, like with the knocks. Remember she would say like one knock yes, two knocks yeah. no. So she she asked the ghost questions. Like she got attached. Yeah. So could be. If there if you know possession really does exist. Maybe it did happen to the house. 
I think I think it did. And I know, you know, I think there was a lot of very interesting different points for this um case. And that's what makes it like a really fun one, you know? Yeah. It's a really interesting case. No matter which side you believe, Arvin's skeptic side or my paranormal believing side, The Conjuring 2 is definitely a movie that deserved all the money it made because it is so fun to watch. It kicks in so much fun adrenaline. When I watched it, I was convinced there was something else in the room with me. It really is a horror movie that you can't help but love. Don't forget, you can always find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. And we already have two episodes out, so go check them out. Yeah, definitely check out our episode. Check out The Conjuring 1 to learn more about Ed and Lorraine Warren and hear about the parent family that we mentioned a little bit in this episode, too. Right. And we also talked about Annalise Mitchell, which is in our Emily Rose uh, second episode. And me and Armin have a lot of fun in that one. (laughs) Yes, we do. And remember, there's always more to uncover behind the story. We'll see you next time.